Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And boom, we're all up. Sarah Webb, you are in the house. Thanks for being here. How's it going? <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, it's I'm glad you're here because what little I know about you, like I was talking about before we started recording, I know you're an author, you're a speaker, um, you have a book out now, I think it's called Look Lush, right? Look Lush is coming out in just a few weeks. Okay. So final just, stages of production. Nice. Yeah. So, um. I guess my first question is, I mean, you know, I always hate asking this question, but just to get us going, you know, what was the motivation behind the book and how did it come about and all that good stuff? So I have a degree in creative writing and I've not really used it except for consistent journaling for decades. And I actually, the first impetus for this book came from a poetry challenge that I saw come across social media to write 21 poems in 21 days. And I guess serendipitously, I had been honing my craft with poetry because I can tend to be verbose, if you will. So a few years ago during the pandemic, I really started working on my craft. It was actually begun in early motherhood I started writing a haiku a day because journaling became more challenging. And a haiku is just five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the syllables in the third line. So it's just three lines. That's the definition of a haiku poem. And I started doing that in order to record what was going on in new motherhood. And then that 
turned into using it in more of a creative way in order to say very little or say a lot rather with just a very few words. And so I had hundreds of poems already. When I saw that challenge, I thought, oh, that would be interesting. And I had one collection of 21 poems and it made me put together a second one of 34 poems. So the book is actually 55 okay. poems together, two parts. The first is look and the second is lush. And it's all about my journey of healing that has been tumultuous and beautiful. So let's go back a little bit though, because I'm always love talking with people who write, enjoy writing, just because it's one of those things I've always felt really hard for me in my life. And that, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just one of those things, I guess I never really decided to sit down and actually try to do better, even though here in these past few years, I've been actually journaling to try to get some more articulate, so to speak. But I mean, did you always knew you were going to go into creative writing or even since you were little, you knew that you wanted to be a writer and do this or what? I guess I've always been a wordy and I started writing very early recording little things in my books. And I have, I mean, I just have so many volumes of books. I always have a book with me in my purse, always have a pen and it's my everything book. I write poetry. I record business notes. I tear out sheets in order to hand to people at certain times. Sure. And, you know, I have never really loved poetry as I've loved to read it because I believe that Instagram memes, Mm this is poetry. It's just short form, but I've never really felt very good at it. And I've written a lot of nonfiction pieces that have been published and have won awards in the past. And I just love journaling. I I love going back and looking. And so I think it's just about making it a habit. I read a great book by James Clear, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits, good book. Yeah, I thought that you maybe mentioned it in one of the shows that I listened to. You know, so it's just about, like, that's why the haiku a day, I actually told my friend that the other day, and she's going to start doing the same thing because it's a very easy way and and a simple format to make a sit down at the end of the day and write something. Mm. And then maybe three haikus come out or maybe a haiku comes out and then you say, that's just not enough. I want to explain the context around it. Or there's something else in the middle of the day. You know, it just gets us into the habit. Yeah. Do you know, um, have you read the war of art? Yes. Stephen so many times. Okay. So that's basically <laughs> what his thing is, is just get down and just write and do something. And even if it's trash, I mean, eventually, right. for those who don't know, I mean, eventually good things will eventually come to, I think he calls it the muse will come out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't remember the painter. He's a meditator just like me. He said for every, if you want one hour of good painting, you need four hours. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're, you're, you've got to just do it. And that's how you hone your craft. It's like anything, you know, you learn by doing. Yeah. And then you'll keep talking about books. So I'm currently reading uh, Outliers by Malcolm Galwell. Galwell. I read that one as yeah. well. And he, he explains that whole 10,000 hour become mm-hmm. a master of your craft. And I forgot who I had on here a couple episodes ago, but he was actually talking about that only applies to a certain situations throughout somebody's lifetime. But I think he made it an argument about where if you're playing chess, you really couldn't apply it for chess 
because you don't know how many hours the other person has put in, mm. which, which I guess is a good argument because I still think to know chess and put in 10,000 hours, you're still going to have to be a pretty good chess player, but it's also just the competition and this things go wrong. And I don't really know a lot about chess, but yeah, I don't know. That was his argument though, but I thought it was pretty, it's like, well, I mean, for the point though, to get good at something and challenge yourself, even if you're not going to be good at it, like you said, you were not good at poetry at first, but you wanted to keep writing to get better at it. Yeah. That's normally how things go in my mind. The more I do it, even podcasting, the more I do it, the better I feel, the more comfortable I get with it. Yeah, I guess it depends on the simplicity or complexity of the craft. I mean, we didn't need to walk for 10,000 hours before we learned how to do that, right? <laughs> well, that's a good point. But it just depends on what it is. Yeah, but yeah, just um, everyone's got their own takes on it, I guess. And that's that was my take that, you know, just from reading his book, uh, the, or Outliers, I mean, from success and patterns and everything else that he plots into it, it just makes – and like what you're talking about, Atomic Habits and – Stephen Pressfield's War of Art. Just if you want to do something, you want to try something, um, just do it. You know, it doesn't just matter where it. you start. Yeah, everyone's day one is going to be different from your day 365, right? Exactly. And, so, and I also really believe in challenging yourself, not only physically and mentally. I don't know what you think about this, but doing hard things typically yes. seem to make people better. And like, for example, I just signed up for uh, a half marathon, which I've never ran a half marathon in my life. So I knew it would challenge me and I wanted to do it and I'm already freaking myself out about it, but that's the way my mind works, but I'm already preparing on how to do well at it, but also it's scary at the same time, you know? 13.1. Yeah. That's going to be a feat. Do you have like an online coach or an app or no. something like that? So I have somebody uh, who has given me a 12 week training program. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which it makes perfect sense to me the way they put it. And I guess they have background in running and stuff and I'm a CrossFitter. I don't know if I have to, you knew about that. So I can give you a 5k, no problem. You know, I'll do that all day. Right. But when we go past that is when, and plus I'm like five foot, nothing, 170 pounds. So I'm not built for running. I'm not, I don't have those long lengthy bodies, but yeah. But my point is, so yeah, I wanted to you're do low it. to the ground. You're a grinder. You do great. <laughs> I think for short bursts of speed is what I'm probably not for long ones. So, um, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm just really one of those things that again, like you challenge yourself, you come out ahead, you learn about yourself and learn what you can do. So yeah, absolutely. I recently have been dabbling. So I've been practicing yoga for over 20 years and I'm a certified yoga teacher in Hatha Thanks. yoga. But recently I've been dabbling in Kundalini, Ooh. which is challenging in a new and different way. Uh -huh. And it requires, you know, there's all the things that you hear about in an advanced yoga class. There's a drishti, which is an eye focus. There's a mudra, which is a hand position. There's intense breath work and you're doing these repetitive movements for two, three, usually it's three minutes on the short end, it'd be one minute. And I mean, these ancients knew that it was affecting, like, for example, the pituitary gland, or that this is something that clears mm. anger. And it's incredibly physically challenging about 50% of the time, but it's 100% of the time mentally challenging. Sure. And I mean, I've done maybe a dozen or so classes and had an emotional release three or four times, which is way more than in traditional yoga. I mean, we say in yoga, the issues are in the tissues. Mm. And that's absolutely true for anything, right? It's like, I would agree. get out of the head and get into the body. Where is this affecting me and my chakra system? 
could this be stored from some trauma that we had when we were a child or a teenager or a first experience of some kind? It could be trauma with a big T or especially under the age of 10, trauma with a little T can seem really devastating sometimes, you know, because it maybe is attached to our sense of self-worth or our ability to believe in ourselves or abundance or something like that, you know? Yeah. Can you explain the difference in Kundalini yoga compared to, I guess, traditional or hot yoga? And just, and the reason I'm asking this is because I had somebody else who practiced Kundalini yoga and I had this, I don't want to, I had this narrative in my head that it was more about trying to take your mind and body into a psychedelic state, which she explained it really was not like that. It was just more of kind of just changing your mindset and learning your body and learning how to heal better, kind of what you just said. But um, yeah, so just explain the difference to listeners just so they know, because it was new, really new to me. I had never heard of it before that. Kundalini is the yoga of awareness. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm not trained okay. in Kundalini, but I know that the specific kriyas are designed with a purpose in mind. And that's what kriya means. Anything that you do to a certain end. So each of the kriyas are like for energy and vitality or for clearing anger or what have you. And you can even take pieces and bring that into your everyday life. So you could take that three minutes and just do a certain body position, whatever it is. So it is intense and beautiful and it does make you aware of the places where we need to heal and it kind of sweeps things out a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and just touching on that, David Goggins, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's an ultra marathon runner and yeah, heard the name. okay. And he's one of these guys that are really, he was a Navy SEAL. He's got a book can't hurt me. And he's really in your face about, uh-huh. you know, do more, just get after it. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier. But, um, he was basically talking about how he used to never stretch or do anything very similar to yoga or stretching. And just, he was kind of a meathead kind of guy, but he, and like when you said the issues were in the tissues, he actually learned, like he has a three hour stretching routine and just learned how much of his body feels better now compared to, you know, before where he was just, you know, he felt like all of his, I guess his, uh, if you want to say stress, just his problems were all within his muscles. And they, you know, he was cramped up all the time based off, I forgot what he was doing. But when he learned to stretch, it's how much body, or how much his body could do more and feel better at the same time. And not only physically, but mentally too. And it was like, wow. You know, and it's one of those things, I guess what I'm trying to say, they go over look, because I was one of those guys who's like, oh, stretching, I don't need to do that. That's for, you know, just, you know, yoga type people, which I do like yoga. I, I practiced it a couple of times, but I actually started to learn from it. It was like, oh yeah, there is something to this. This, this is not just some made up thing that people were just giving you an alternative to fitness or mindset or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. It's an ancient practice. Exactly. And it really, a lot of it has to do with the intention that we have behind it, because if you're finishing up with your run, which I am a former runner, I love it, but my right knee and left ankle don't love it. And I would rather walk than run. I just want to be able to walk as I get older. Uh, So I miss it dearly. But after you finish running, if you're stretching and checking your email and already checked out and already into the next segment of your day, it's not going to be the same as putting intention behind that hamstring stretch because I mean, where focus goes, energy flows. And that's kind of a woo woo saying from yoga, but it's been proven. 
we can, you know, biofeedback has proven that if we can direct heat, blood to various parts of our bodies, just with our minds. I mean, it's been proven in other scientific studies where they have like a number machine, for example, that just spits out ones and zeros constantly. Mm. So you would think 50% of the time is going to be ones and 50% zeros. And they've proven time and time again, that when you put a human in front of said machine and tell the human to try to make the machine lean toward a certain direction, it will. Their intention has a lot to do with the result of things. And that's, you know, pretty much everything behind being positive or negative. It's, it's quantum physics, you know. When yeah, no, I agree 100% with you just because, you know, I've learned that just talking to yourself, you know, what is that stupid saying? Well, not a stupid saying, but that saying that you talk to yourself the most than anyone else in this world. Yeah. And so, right. like, what you're saying to yourself, and if you're surrounding yourself in these, I think, you know, going back on James Clear, these negative pattern behavior loops or whatever, it's just how much it really does affect you. And that's where your body tends to go. And I mean, not your body and your mind too. go down these really dark arts, so to speak, and bad ways. And you don't really, you know, you think just one day you're, you're doing it once or whatever, but then it just builds up and it compounds. And then all of a sudden, wow, you know, two weeks, you're in this, this negative trash person that nobody wants to be around and your body's listening to. And yeah, how do people live like that? You know, it's in, it's one of those things that, you know, for those who don't know atomic habits, but you got to create a new positive behavioral pattern. And like, even though you can't, you shouldn't do it overnight, but there's something, Hey, well, I'm, today I'm only going to do, or listen to positive music or I don't know, something like that. And, or go for a walk or do something that makes me happy rather than all day long. Just think about how I hate everybody and myself. And so, yeah. And it's just one of those things that it adds up over time. And, you know, I've listened to a couple of people who go down these really dark ways and that really knew about it until they almost hit rock bottom. I was like, what am I doing? You know? And it's just, it's all about just changing the way you talk about yourself and what you're saying aloud. And, you know, a lot of, because I've had some people talk, you know, I've said a few things in the back before I started podcasting and in the gym, they're like, why do you say things like that? Or why do you talk about yourself like that? I was like, you know, it didn't really occur to me. I and mean, that's just, right. I don't know if it's your subconscious coming out or what, but yeah, that's just, it's wild to me, but how much of it makes it difference that, you know, it's one of those things. If you say I get to go work out or I get to go run or whatever, instead of just saying right. I, I have to go. You know, it changes All about the mindset. Yeah. yeah. Right. Have you read Mindset by Carol Dweck? Uh-uh. You'd love that book. We wrote that it's down. It's phenomenal. I read it several years ago and I actually read it again recently, just little in little pieces. But so much of what we're running is a software program. Before the age of 10, our mind is not fully developed. Sure. We begin the development of the prefrontal cortex or the brain's CEO right here in the frontal lobe at the age of 10. And it doesn't finish developing until 25. Yeah, and I've heard that. Anything that comes into our brains before the development of the prefrontal cortex, we take in as fact, as core beliefs. So, for example, that doing a certain activity is safe or if you're a parent or some sort of a guardian or teacher who means a lot to you said things like you always do it wrong or you're so mm -hmm. stupid. We might find ourselves saying, oh, God, I always do it wrong. I'm so stupid because that's been basically implanted into our brain's 
subconscious and, and we're running that like a software program. And so, as you mentioned, you know, awareness of it, which other people can point out, coaches, speakers, books can allow us to start to categorize and, and actually look at the things that we're saying and things that we're doing. It's just like James Clear says, if you want to start a diet, well, first just write down what you're eating. Sure. So that there's awareness around what's actually going into our bodies. Do you think a lot of our problems as adults, and I think you may have touched on this earlier, stem from childhood? I think that's been proven. I'm yeah. not a, an expert on that. But I either. I'm not an expert on anything, but we, I like to talk about it and discuss it and just see what happens. Yeah. But I based mean, on... Yeah, based on what other people say on what I've read and podcasts and stuff, it seems like m most problems have stemmed from childhood incidents or whatever. And as an adult, the brain still kind of hangs on to them. But I guess it's, you know, like when you're talking about healing, it's just people learning how to heal from it and going from there into a certain way and just not keep living with the same problem over and over and just think, well, this is my life now. This is how it's going to be. Well, I think the brain likes repetition we most of our lives are run by habit and energetically i think that we can subconsciously attract certain situations to ourselves repetitively because it's familiar sure and so there are traumas with a big t or a little c that happen in childhood or early adulthood that end up repeating themselves it's like and just how you're saying about the power of what we say, you know, maybe we get out of a relationship that we don't want and we go around telling all of our friends, oh, this person or he or she was this certain way. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Well, just because you're saying you don't want it doesn't mean that you're not focusing on it. It's like I always tell my clients, if you're going to go buy a new car and you've decided that you want a Cadillac. You don't walk around saying, I don't want a Jeep. I don't want a Ford. I don't want a Chevrolet. You focus on the Cadillac. Sure. And it's just like, if I told you, do not under any circumstances, think about an octopus in rollerblades. You're going to, even for just a split second, think about a rollerblading octopus. And maybe you're thinking, okay, does it have rollerblades on all? eight of its tentacles or is it just two or just four? And, you know, that's where mine goes. Cause I'm super analytical. So if you don't want a rollerblading octopus, then don't talk about not wanting it. It's like, I always tell my daughter, she'll be like, mom, don't fall. I'm like, okay, well then let's say stand up straight, keep your feet sure instead of saying the no word and what we absolutely don't want. Going back, when you say trauma with big T, little T, do you mean micro trauma? Yeah, I mean, let's oh, say, for example, little Johnny got pushed in the pool. This happened to my daughter the other day. Okay. Her, her stepbrother pushed her in the pool and it was, it was a joke and we were all there and she was safe, but it scared her. Sure. And you could see that it shook her up. Well, who knows? if maybe one day that's going to be activated by some other situation that will call up this feeling of, of not being liked by her, her little brother her her older brother, actually, who, who loves her so much, of course. And it was just playful, but you know, there's, that's not a major trauma, like 
obviously she wasn't maimed. It's not one of your traditional, like she didn't see a murder or she didn't experience right. sexual trauma in that moment. So that's maybe not what you would call trauma with a big T, but it could be something that could come up later in life in some way. So, so that feeling of not being validated or not being good enough. I mean, with the majority of people, it has to do with not feeling like they are enough, not tall enough, not smart enough, not rich enough, not successful enough, not old enough, not young enough, not skinny enough. It's usually feelings of inadequacy. And that has to do with self-worth or when you really get down to it, like worthlessness yeah. in some form or fashion. Yeah. People always wondering if they are enough seems to be a common yeah. theme. Very important. Yeah. And I don't know if that's from you know, the media, if it's from society, I mean, it's all, or from just how, you know, nature versus nurture, whatever you want to say. And neuroscience, it's the way that we developed as humans. It's pretty natural. And it's actually amazing because it's part of our survival instincts. We are, as humans are trained to look for problems, threats to our existence. So when we're out being hunters and gatherers, for example, we're constantly looking for threats, trying to make sure that we're safe. Correct. And because we like habits, we're going to always be doing that. And so that's how we end up with negative thinking is by looking for problems and then focusing on them by habit. It's a habit of, of looking for problems. And we don't have to be bound by it though. I mean, in modern life, our problems end up being our spouse or traffic or a problem with a coworker or our children or, you know, any number of things that are not life-threatening, but sometimes when they all get piled on, we feel like we aren't able to support it because of the way that our nervous system works. Yeah. Do you think the modern human just, the modern human brain can't just handle, you know, the information overload or so much coming at them at one point? Like, you don't, I don't think it was built yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say built, but I don't think it was like you said, it was not really made, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say here to accompany everything that we are having thrown at us on a daily basis right now. So many decisions at once and, you know, small decisions versus big decisions and how they add up over time. And it's just, you know, it's like I almost get overloaded just trying to figure out, you know, when people tell me to go watch a new show or whatever. It's like, man, I, I ain't caught up on the shows that I've been trying to watch, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, everything benefits from being shut off. Our phones, our computers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? 
Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. And... Our brains, our lives, which is why meditation is so helpful just to shut off. I mean, I'll give you some basic biology and neuroscience. All around us, there are billions of bits of data. And the human brain processes around 11 million bits per second, which is a lot. But we're only conscious of between 40 and 50 of those 11 million bits. I did the math. Mm-hmm. That means that we're conscious of 0.04% of everything that's actually coming into our brains and bodies. 99.96% of everything that we have available to us is coming in through the subconscious. Another 11 million is that we have 11 million sensory receptors in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Five senses, 11 million receptors, 10 million of the 11 million are dedicated to our sight. So how do you access the 99.96% of information that's already in there? You shut off 10 million of your 11 million sensory receptors and go inside, which I believe we're accessing the unified field of quantum physics, where all possibility, all creativity exists. I mean, I've been in such deep samadhi states where I feel completely weightless and where my body seems to completely disappear just by meditating for 20 minutes in the morning or in the middle of the day. It's completely changed my life. I've been meditating for 20 minutes, twice a day for over six years. I did mindfulness meditation before that and nothing ever really stuck. But when I learned transcendental meditation, my life started to change rapidly. So wait, what is transcendental meditation? TM is really easy. You can go to tm.org. I'm not a TM teacher, although I do consider myself a, a meditation mentor. I just believe that the important thing is to meditate. I mean, TM is kind of pricey. It has a, a teacher involved who teaches for four days, two hours each. And you're given a mantra, a personal mantra, that is like a thought word sound. It doesn't mean anything in any language. And you just gently repeat the mantra in your mind. And you don't have to push thoughts away. You just lightly focus on the mantra. And amazing and beautiful things happen. So for 20 minutes, you're just kind of just doing this every day, just sitting in the morning and then at some other point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good practice right there. And that's, you know, everyone's got their own definition of meditation. And I've actually, for me, just where I work at, I'm able to go take a lap around campus. I work in higher education and just, you know, me getting out into the sunlight, I think really does wonders for me. Yeah. And which, you know, it goes unnoticed to a lot because people don't really understand like being outside and how much the sun can do for your one's body. And absolutely, yeah. And just, you know, I mean, it makes a good, you know, even if I'm just getting pissed off or stressed out a little bit at work, it's just go for a lap around campus. I'm good. You know, get the sunlight. I don't really, you know, 
like I said, that's my form of it, or even going for a drive or something like that. Rather than, I think everyone thinks that you have to sit in silence in a dark room, and that's meditation. But would you agree that there's a lot of different forms of it? It's just kind of resetting yourself back to better. You're back to neutral. Yeah, I think there are different forms of meditation. I I think that it is really important to. It doesn't have to be in a dark room. It doesn't have to. Be, you don't have to sit in a lotus position. Yeah, I think that there is something to be said. I mean, I've meditated in a lot of weird places. I've meditated while my wife is driving. I've meditated on a plane. I've meditated in the airport. And it's amazing the earmuffs that somehow appear when we go inside. So I I agree that there are forms of moving meditation, but they're not the same as actually reaching that other brainwave state. So what you're talking about with like driving, there are other rote things that we do, like washing the dishes or you know, maybe being in the shower, you might notice that things kind of bubble up from the subconscious. And that's because the way that brain waves work. Normally we're in beta. High beta is very stressed and okay. gamma is like problem solving. And beta is the waking state. The very first stage of sleep and most meditation is alpha. And then when you go down into delta, that's obviously deep sleep. In between Delta and Alpha, there's Theta. And the only time that we're ever in Theta is when we're doing one of those things like driving. It's something that when we first learned how to wash ourselves or wash the dishes, we really had to think about it. And now our brains do it automatically. So when we're doing those rote things, our brain slips into Theta. And that's how the subconscious bubbles up into the conscious. And we have great ideas or ways to solve something that we've been working on. So I, I hear driving a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's definitely not the same. I mean, sure, kickboxing is a fantastic way to relieve stress and get painkillers, natural painkillers called endorphins, but it's not the same as meditation. So this is my, you know, my experience and my personal opinion. Because I did all those things before yeah. I learned to meditate. But it's getting quiet with yourself. And if you're a Christian or follow any other religion that involves prayer. I say that prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. That's a good point. But it's almost one and the same. I almost feel like just, well, maybe I don't have this thought together quite yet because that, you know, yeah, maybe that's what I was yeah, you got well, a good can point I ask there. You a question? Yeah, ask me anything you want to. I was just trying to think of what you just said, and because, and I heard something a while back. Sorry, I'll I'll, I'll stop rambling. No, no. What did you hear a while back? So, I, I got a question. And it was about the difference between prayer and meditation, and and I liked how you explained it that prayer is talking and meditation is listening. Correct, and mm-hmm. that I forgot now. I can't remember how they put it, and I was trying to remember it now just to because it was a different way of what you just said, but I. I'll have to think of it later and I'll email you or something, but, oh, yeah, that sounds good. but, but I was like, wow, I was like, wow, that's, that's like, that's a good take on it. But maybe it's just where they were saying they, they get too con- like those two things confused where they think just because I'm praying, you know, something should happen mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, what I'm praying for. I don't know. I'm going to stop. I'm butchering it really bad. So I'll just stop. But yeah, you can go ahead and ask me a question. Well, all right. We have two eyes, two ears and one mouth. Okay. So if we're asking for something or if we're producing something, we naturally can't be observing or listening. 
And so meditation is just activating the eyes on the inside. But my question that I ask a lot of people, and this makes people uncomfortable. It's okay. What are you afraid of by getting quiet with yourself? Ooh, what am I personally afraid? I mean, yeah, I think I think a lot of people are afraid of being with themselves. Um, well, I was not going to say being with themselves because, you know, I'm alone a lot throughout my daily life as far as like work, you know, I'm by myself. I mean, my going to the gym is kind of my main social structure, I guess, so to speak. And that, you know, then afterwards when I come home, you know, I'm a single guy, just got two dogs, no kids. Um, but I mean, when you said, what are you afraid of? My first thought, I mean, I've always been afraid of growing older and becoming very dependent on other people. So mm-hmm. that, that was my first thought when you said like, what are you afraid of? But yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes me want to be so active is that, you know, I've seen people, you know, in my family and, you know, in my community where I grew up and that was almost that, you know, they, they needed so much help from others just to, you know, get around or be somewhat mobile. And I just remember always thinking like, I was like, man, you know, when I'm 70 or 80, hopefully I can still sign up to run a half marathon or something. And like, how cool that would be. And, but yeah, so to answer your question, that was my first thought, but you know, I mean, but I do agree that, you know, being lonely does suck, you know I mean? Or being, I'm really alone by myself, maybe just not having a companion. Like, is that mm-hmm. what you're, is that maybe that's what I was trying to get at? Well, and, and thank you for that vulnerability. And I, yeah. I mean, I would encourage you to attend a meditation class where you can meet other people because meditating with other people is incredibly powerful. I mean, if you're interested in meditation, I, like, am. I mean, I'm open to I it. wish that everyone would meditate. I think, I believe that we would not have the problems that we do in this world. If everyone would meditate, it, it opens up love compassion sure. it'll which i mean compassion is just a beautiful it's love in motion and it allows us to feel joy later i mean sometimes there's joy in the meditation sometimes it just makes space for it in our lives it gives me that 30,000 foot view on my life that separation and we call it in yoga and meditation being the witness it's like we're watching our life on a movie screen as opposed to being fully in it. And that's what allows us to have that space between a stimulus and a reaction. Because I talk about in my, when I do motivational speaking, the difference between reacting and responding. A reaction is something that we do that's coming from trauma perhaps, or our subconscious. We don't put any thought behind it, but a response is what is probably going to be the more evolved way to respond to, you know, a difficult stimulus, if you will. Yeah. You almost like fight or flight, you know, like what you just said, react and something randomly just happens out of nowhere. You react without thinking. right? Right. And then, but when you respond, you actually have a more thoughtful sit down way of how you want to approach something. Is that the better way? More mindful. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. Yeah. You know, it's my mom always goes in those situations, too, where, you know, I've heard, you know, a lot of things about where people see some type of an incident or trauma or here's a good example. Um, When I was going to work one day, somebody passed me on this mountain road that I had to go to work and they wrecked right in front of me. They were going so fast. 
And I was like, immediately just, I stopped my car and got out to help. And then remember driving, you know, everything was okay. They just, they flipped it, but they were okay. The car was trash, wow. trash. but they, he was driving like an idiot anyway. And yeah. I passed me on a curvy mountain road at, I forgot whatever speed he was. And he just overcorrected it turned, but I stopped and helped. And then, but I remember driving to work the rest of, you know, after we finished up and the police got there and all that, that mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, what made me stop? And what, if, you know, knowing at that point in my life, you know, I had a wreck when I was 16 years old. That was pretty bad. And I was like, I wonder if that made me stop. And, but mm-hmm. I said, if I've never would have happened, I mean, even thinking about it now, I was like, thinking about it, what I still would have stopped at the time or what part of me just made me stop and say, I'm going to go help this guy, you know? And it's little things like that, that kind of go in my mind and wonder like all the time in situations, like when somebody, or I know a situation's coming up of some sort, my mind automatically tries to play out every single scenario that could come out of it. You know, whether good or bad, but, and then it's a lot of overthinking, I guess, at the same time. But then I'm like, oh, okay, we're good. But it's it's like, I'm trying to be prepared for no matter what, kind of like you were talking about the survival instinct. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that you live more in the future or the past? Mm, I would say if you would have asked me that five, 10 years ago, I would say in the past, just, I think I held on to a lot of things that. You know, it's one of those like, oh, I wish I would have did this right or or did this a different way. I wish I would have made went left instead of right or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I think I held on to a lot of those things. And now that, you know, I've learned that, OK, you know, I've turned 36 this year. And if things keep going correctly, you know, if I keep growing and learning and, you know, learning from my mistakes that, you know, I, I can live in the future and be more prepared. And that's what. I think I would rather I would want or I know that's what I would want is to be in a future and have everything. I used to not say I was a planner. And for those who used to, you know, like they would schedule their days out or had like a routine and stuff. I used to think they were, you know, nerds <laughs> and that that was just, that was stupid. And like you're working hard, you're trying to plan stuff out. For some reason, I don't know if that was the cool thing to do, but I remember it's like, oh, you're actually trying. That's lame who does that <laughs> so now that like i've plugged a plan for my future now so i don't want to say i live in a future but yeah maybe i am i guess living in a future way when i say that but, i'm a planner too and i always have been but i also am very flexible and will completely upend the plans yeah. that i've made <laughs> I, I like to be able to adapt and i like right. to I, I really like planning now you know i've learned the power of it you know as far as scheduling planning you know being able to say no to something um, and that I used to never have that for some, whatever reason, I don't know if I was trying to be a people pleaser mm-hmm. or what was it, but yeah. So now that I think if, you know, I got an idea of what's going to happen within my future, I can control it into a sense of where I want it to go and whether if it's going to, you know, like you're talking about responding, if it's going to be a good move for me or a bad move for me. But yeah, there's times that, you know, when I react to react to something, I don't know. I hope everything that my, integrity and principles and morals and values will all come, you know, what I believe in and what I like to talk about on here sometimes will show. And, you know, I've only had like two times in that once or twice in my life, I guess, where I actually had to, that off the top of my head, I'm thinking about it now, where I actually had to react to something like right then and mm-hmm. figure it out. And it's, it's wild. And one of those is the car accident. Yeah, the car accident was my first, when I wrecked my car accident, or when I was 16, I wrecked my first car. My brother was with me and we flipped again. I did the same thing that that guy did. Wow. I flipped my first car. And my first instinct was I got to get my brother out. And so I did that and I got him out. And then after that, 
it was just kind of like, oh, I'll just wait around until people get here and figure it out. Wow. And then I get, and I keep thinking, I, sometimes I go back to that and that's like one of the things like, well, maybe that's why I stopped to go help that guy. And, mm-hmm. I, and that was after I graduated college. So I guess I was, or I guess, I guess that's probably not my first aid thing is expired now, but um, I think that's part of maybe the why I stopped anyway, but I don't know, but it was just cause of that. It's like, Ooh, I got to help. I don't know. It's wild. I never really sat and thought about it. This is probably the most I've ever really talked about it, to be honest with you. So yeah, you got that out of me today. Yeah. Awareness is the first step. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe you can write about that. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that also that, you know, we're talking with people on here that being how self-aware is such a positive attribute now. And that, yeah, yeah, you know, I was probably one of those guys that had this, I know it was one of these guys that had one of these big egos at one point and was just thinking, you know, that, you know, everything got touched is gold and everything like that. So sitting down and learning to be more self-aware and like being, you know, when you were talking about, you know, you said, thanks for being vulnerable, like having those moments and being humbled at the same time is like, they played a big part, you know, on like how to, you know, bring your, bring yourself down a couple levels and figure things out and analyze and reflect on certain situations. Self-awareness is huge. Especially in today's modern times, we just want to dissociate, distract, take our minds off of things, drink, watch a television show, eat, go be with our partner. And, and so that's kind of what I was getting at is, you know, why are people so afraid to spend time inside of their bodies? Because if we can call up an incident earlier in the day during our meditation and just say, okay, what is this doing to my body? Am I feeling this? In my root chakra, am I feeling it in my heart? Is this something that's happening up in my head? Mm-hmm. And then if we can start to trace that back to what I call a same similar event. Okay, well, the reason why I reacted this way is probably not because my coworker Julie stole my cupcake or whatever it is. It's probably, <laughs> you know, okay, let's trace it back. Oh, when I was 17, I remember that happened with my sister. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back even further. Oh, when I was in eighth grade, I remember my friend. And then, you know, you know, so it's sitting with ourselves, finding out where is this activating in the body and then asking our bodies because the bodies have so much wisdom stored inside. And if we just sit with it and try to go back to that same similar event, then we can kind of unravel the knot and then when we're faced with a similar situation, same similar situation in the future, and we say, oh, I know that this is activating that place in my body. I'm going to choose to respond in a different way instead of react in anger or frustration or sadness or fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point, too, because I was always one of those little kids who had a temper for whatever reason. And that no matter what, I would just throw a huge temper tantrum over everything. And I actually had to learn until one day somebody pointed it out to me about how bad it was or not really well, bad, but how terrible I looked and like what I was doing. And, you know, that was like, what you, and it finally hit me that I was like, well, oh, maybe I need to learn to control this. And, you know, and I don't know if that was pent up aggression. I, was, I mean, I had a great childhood. I mean, so, but I'm sure they're along with any other person that there's some things that can go wrong and, you know, not everybody's perfect and everyone's got their own problems, but yeah, that was part of me. It's just like 
thinking one day, like, you know, I always pictured it as like an onion. Let's peel back some layers here and see like, really, what am I mad about? You know, rather than just taking out on somebody just because of something. Yeah. I mean, it simply, it probably perpetuated Chris because it worked yeah. with your parents or whoever your caregiver was. <laughs> you threw a temper tantrum and it worked. And yeah. so that's why habits persist is because we feel like it's the easiest, fastest solution to solve a given problem. Yeah. But that's amazing awareness. And I love talking to people who are committed to growth. There's a fantastic poem by Portia Nelson. I'll send you a link to it. It's called Autobiography in Five Chapters. And, and I'll heavily paraphrase, but chapter one is I'm walking down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I cannot get out. It's not my fault. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. It still takes me a long time to get out. It's still not my fault. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. <laughs> I love coaching and working with chapter three people because they've gotten out of the victimhood mentality. People who are in chapter one, it's everybody else's fault. I can't find a way out. They've got some real work to do on awareness. And that's when the awareness starts is in that chapter three. I love that poem. <laughs> I send it to everyone. <laughs> and, and, you know, we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but um, just a little bit more background about you where, you know, sometimes when I start talking and getting on here, I make I feel like I make things easier said than done. And people were just it's almost really vague scenarios. But this is, you know, one of those scenarios where you had actually had to learn to take a different street. Right. Where you in your background, you had to learn to actually heal from within and be self-aware and go from there. And you know, I just want people to know that rather than just thinking that we're just on here, just, you know, bullshitting our way and just saying stuff that you would get from any other self-help book, you know that it was actually a personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. I have healed from many traumas. Yeah. And I haven't done it completely alone. I've done it myself. But of course, I've had lots of practitioners who have nudged me along and shown me the way. I, I feel very blessed. I believe that obstacles are opportunities. I mean, you work out, you're training for a marathon. If we didn't work our muscles, I mean, in order to grow our muscles, we literally have to rip them. Sure. And then we have to feed it in order to regrow them and get the right amount of sleep. So it's not like, but I mean, healing requires injury. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only by going through things that we get stronger. Yeah. Smooth seas do not make for strong sailors, right? So, yeah, I've it. had tremendous trauma, traumas with big T's yeah. in my life. And I am so honored and I feel blessed to be able to grow from those experiences and lead other women and men to their own. I mean, I call myself a spiritual activist. So, it's finding that power that we all have within ourselves. I mean, each of us has innate power. It's just about 
finding out what your special brand is of, of your abilities. Mm. Healing is not pretty, right? Yeah. But the result is beautiful. Mm. Sorry, let's take it home right there. <laughs> Say uh, it again. I said, let's take that home right there. Once you just okay. said, um, yeah, before we start going down more areas, but yeah, I thought that was a beautiful way to end this right there. And if people want to find you, I know the book's coming out. If they want to find the book, if they, you know, anything you want to plug, feel free to do all that. Absolutely. My book will be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and anywhere you'd like to purchase it. The price will be under $10. Nice. And it's a collection of 55 poems called Look Lush. My name is Sarah Webb, S-A-R-A-W-E-B-B. And follow me on Instagram. I put out yoga videos, tips about meditation, lots of things. Daily inspiration on Instagram. And I am there at Sarah Webb Says. That's S-A-R-A-W-E-B-B-S-A-Y-S. And I really appreciate you taking the time, Chris. My my book should come out in probably about eight weeks. Okay. I'm still working with the publisher. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this, Sarah. This was this Thank was great. You. I enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, this has been a delight. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. All right, people, we're out of here. Be good to yourselves. <laughs>